This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. And Today we finish uh, with part five of Hope for Broken Hearts. Uh, this has been a pastoral care series, a pastoral ministry uh, of our church series, and uh, I was thinking about it this week, the people that would be here uh, today that are just testing out church, and maybe today as we talk about a bad church experience or church hurt in your life, uh, you're, you're putting your foot back in the water. But this illustration came to me this week is on Monday, uh, I made smoked salmon dip. I don't want to brag, but it was awesome. Now, here's a big difference between men and women. Men really do not know how long things should last in the refrigerator. That is why men have women to tell them, don't eat that. Okay, so uh, yesterday I was very excited. I got home at lunch and I grabbed the salmon dip. So I made it on Monday, yesterday, Saturday. That's six days. We were torn in the first service. I'm sure we're torn in this service as well. I have this, this is how my male brain thinks, and I had all sorts of guys going like this in the first service. I don't think there's an expiration date on egg salad, for example. <laughs> Hang with me for a second. All the ingredients in egg salad were already in the refrigerator. You brought them together, and all of a sudden, they're only good for another three days. Makes no sense to me. Who agrees with me? Let me just see your hand. Thank you, all the men in the room. And without your wife, Kent, you shall surely die. That's what I've learned. (laughs) Amy saw me grabbing the salmon dip. She goes, hey, what are you doing? I go, I I got my Frito scoops. I said, I'm ready. And she goes, "Uh, you're not going to eat that. So what, what do women do to decide if something's still good? Look at that. Man, they're very passionate about this. You start with the sniff test. But the problem, Amy goes, smell it first. And so I sniffed it. It's fish. (laughs) Fish always smells bad from the moment you catch them to the moment you cook them to weeks later in the refrigerator. I go, it passes the sniff test. (laughs) Then what do you do? You get in there with your spoon and, no. You take a nibble. You take a nibble. Now, my first clue should have been when I looked in and saw that little pool of mayonnaise juice kind of floating on the top. That's, that's when, and you start stirring it in and it ain't stirring in. That should have been my clue. But look at the guys are going, no, go for it, man. You're right. I went for it. It passed the sniff. It passed the nibble. I grabbed a scoop and I dug in there and threw it out in the trash. It was surely bad. So, And that is what's happening today in all three services and across this campus. There are people coming in and giving Woodland Hills the sniff test. Sniffing. And I'm not talking like sniffing marijuana at the Garth Brooks concert. I'm talking about because you sniffed it. All right, I sniffed it. I sniffed it a lot. I had to move sections so I could drive home. So you sniffed. You sniff, there'll be people that'll be here for a long time sniffing. And then you, you may take a nibble, a nibble. And there are others that are like, I've done the sniff test, everything. Okay, I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to take a bite. Today we're talking about when the church hurts. I have put this message off for a long time. Knowing how 
many different levels of hurt there is in the church. Today we're going to talk about bad church experiences. We're going to talk about church hurt. We're going to talk about spiritual abuse and trauma. And as we talk about this, I just, I'm, I'm intrigued at people who visit a church because today, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians, reading through this book, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, I just was struck this week by what he dealt with 2,000 years ago, we're still dealing with today. And yet he never gave up on the church. Yet he continued to go point people to Jesus, no matter how messed up the church was. And the reason we need to, for those taking the sniff or the nibble test today, you're walking in, I, I need you to, to today is almost like, let's set expectations. Because, yes, there's no perfect church. And sometimes we get in our mind that the local church is easy. The local church is not easy. I love fellowship and I love the times that we spend together. I love eating together with glad and sincere hearts. But the local church can be very difficult at times. The local church can be messy. You know why the local church can be messy? It's because there are messed up people in here today. Messed up. I'm messed up, messed up, messed up, messed up. And it can create for very messy moments in the church. And the reason we're going to start in verse 2, it's to me verse 2 is like the, the opening scene in a movie. If, if you miss, and this is a big deal for me in my home, like we do not miss the opening scenes in the movie because remember they'll show, they'll show like a one-minute clip foreshadowing, right? They're one-minute clip of something that's coming in the movie. And then after that clip they say, 18 hours earlier. That is, so, that is such important information to know most of this movie is going to take place in 18 hours. Or when it says present day. Like if you miss that, you're lost for the whole movie. You might as well take your popcorn and leave. And chapter 1, verse 2. If you don't read chapter 1, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians and you just jump into Corinthians, you're going to be like, this ain't a local church. This is a nightclub. There's nothing about these people that represent Christ and the sanctifying work of Jesus in their life. Here's what it says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. To the church of God in Corinth, to the local church of God, to the believers in Christ Jesus in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, those who God forever will see as holy because of the finished work of Jesus for them, and yet each day we're being sanctified. Travis talked about it last week. We're to be growing like Christ. We're to be making those changes that bring us closer to Christ and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere. Now, this is believers in local churches all throughout the Roman Empire, not just this local church, but to everyone who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Very important to understand that Paul is talking to believers in Corinth in the local church. Why is that important? As you do a deep dive into this book, and we don't have time to get into all of it, you, right after this, you get into chapter 1, where they're now divided over leaders. People are picking their favorite leaders on the teaching team. And they're picking, I like this person, I prefer this person, I prefer this person. Paul's saying, whoa, 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 what are you doing? No. No, we all follow Christ. We're all in the body of Christ together. We're doing our part in the body. They're divided over leaders. Chapter 3, he deals with worldliness, finding its way into the church. He's reminding them that we're to be sanctified in Christ. 
Chapter 5, you think, you think it's just, it's, he's just now addressing. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and he has to address incest in the church. Chapter 6, he's dealing with lawsuits among believers. And as I was reading it this week, I'm not even done with the list, but I'm going, we have dealt with all of this at Woodland Hills Family Church. All of it. We have a a businessman or woman in the community that comes to us and says, this person owes me money. We need the elders to meet with us. We need to get this taken care of. Or I'm taking them to court, right? We do it. And you're like, well, how come we never know about it? Well, I just want to encourage you because it's none of your business. And if you want to make it your business, that's called gossip. You should be rejoicing over the fact that two believers in Christ Jesus can work through something and you never know about it. Some of you are like, but I want to. I just want to know so I can put it on Facebook. No. No. We've dealt with that. We've dealt with the severe cases of sexual abuse among families. And we've done that work. And so sometimes people are like, I don't know about it, so the church must be silent on it. Oh, I promise you we're not silent on it. We're doing the work, church. Chapter 8, people are fighting over what food to eat. And by the time you get to chapter 11, where we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a church family, Paul has to get on them because there are divisions among you. Even when you come to the Lord's table, when you come to the Lord's Supper, some of you are coming to this table and getting drunk. And what does he do? Does he give up on the church? Does he say, I'm done with all of you? I'm done with all of you. In Acts, we read a little bit more about his ministry you know, before you get to this letter that he writes back to them. And it says in Acts 18, 8 through 11, many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. You know what we need to be reminded of? In the middle of the accountability and the confrontation and the mess that the church deals with often, people are getting saved and baptized. People are coming to note Jesus. That's why we keep keeping on local church One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. More pastors needed to hear this in the last two years. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you. This is probably very encouraging to Paul as this didn't happen in other places. He didn't have this safety given to him. The Lord says, because I have many people in this city. There are many people that need to hear the good news of Jesus. Keep on being the church. Keep on moving forward. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And church, here's what you read as you read through as we get up to taking the Lord's Supper today. Paul did not give up on the local church. Instead, he pointed them to Jesus. And it's what every local church continues to do. And I just think 2,000 years later, we're still dealing with the stuff in the church that Paul dealt with in Corinth. In Ephesus, it just, it happened. I mean, you look back on the church. And so today we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. So we think through church hurt today or bad church experiences, even trauma and abuse that has happened to people at the hands of people in the church. That today we come to the Lord's Supper to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I know you're like me, many of you, you long for the return of Jesus. The faith for us is a waiting game. In the Old Testament, they were waiting the coming Messiah and the first advent, the first coming of Christ. 
Today in the church, we wait for the second coming of Christ. And until he comes, until we're home with him, we continue to proclaim the Lord's death as a local church through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. The scripture says we're to examine our hearts as we take of the bread and drink of the cup. Examining hearts, confessing sins, reconciling relationships. And I just want to encourage you right now to take that moment. Go before your Father in heaven, thanking him for sending his son Jesus to die for you. Examine your heart. We'll come back, pray together, and take the elements as a church family. Father, today we thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. For his blood and his body for us. And we will proclaim his death. Grateful for the forgiveness of our sins every time we drink of this cup and take of this bread. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and everyone agreed and said... The Lord's Supper is for those who have professed faith in Jesus. If you're a guest here today, uh, you are more than welcome to join us in this if you have claimed the name of Jesus. The scripture says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And all God's people said, Amen. To center us on Christ today as we move into this topic of church hurt, uh, and as people are here for the first time wondering, is this a, a church I can fit into or a church where I can belong? I was recently at a church, and Amy always tells me I need to give it six months so people don't know who I'm talking about, um, but I was recently at First Baptist Salisbury, Missouri, and, uh, and I can say this, I love the church, I love the pastor, he's been to our church, and it was kind of just a uh, got his words jumbled up a little bit, which a beautiful church in Salisbury, wood paneling and wood uh, beams, gorgeous church, traditional church. And he was trying to introduce me and he was trying to speak complimentary of, of Woodland Hills, but this is what he ended up saying. And so if you're ever in Branson and get a chance to go to Woodland Hills, or if you want to go to a church you wouldn't normally go to, <laughs> and everybody did what you just did, they laughed slightly offended, but not too bad. Uh, and I'm sitting there going, boy, this, this tops it. And I get up and, you know, the comedian in me came out and I opened with, it's good to be here tonight in a church I wouldn't normally go to. <laughs> anyway, so that we're not going down there. But if you're new to our church, you need to, we're starting today with a core value because this series is different in, in its, its tone as pastoral care. 
we want you to know there's a core value of our church. Every member is a minister. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. We, you're not looking at the minister. I'm looking at the ministers. Those who claim Christ and believe in Christ and you're a part of this church, uh, you're being equipped today for the work of ministry, to go out and minister in your families and in this community. What that means, because I hear people say this often, uh, the sermon today really wasn't for me. Uh, The sermon was for someone else. That is simply not true if you are a minister. Because if every member is a minister, that means every sermon equips you for ministry. That means, this is why I listen to messages on divorce. I've never been divorced, but I lean in so I can learn, so I can help family, friends, church members who are going through a divorce. I I pull up on my phone messages about recovery. I've never been through recovery, but I want to know how to help and be a healthy voice in the life of family, friends, church members who are going through recovery. I love, and I I just listened to some messages uh, by Ben Stewart in Washington, D.C., talking to singles. And I need to listen to messages talking to singles so I can better help and encourage and support the singles in my life. So if you're married, Lean in on messages to singles. If you're single, lean in on messages about marriage. I I don't have a blended family, but I love listening to my friend Ron Deal at Family Life talk about blended families so I can better minister to blended families. I encourage you to lean in today if you say, I have no church hurt. I have a buddy I asked this week, I go, do you have any church hurt? And he said, I don't. He didn't grow up in church. He came to the church uh, as an adult came to Christ as an adult, and, and I, was, I was really processing that this week because a lot of the church hurt maybe we talk about today is what you experienced as a child, and you saw something done to your parents, or something was done to you, and you're a parent, and you saw this happen to your child, and, and you're, you're saying, I, but I've never had anything done to me. I've never had this church hurt or pain that you're going to talk about, and today as we jump into this, I want to kind of give you three categories that we're going to discuss. It's kind of a framework of the message, and some of you in here have just experienced a bad church moment. Just we're going to call it a bad church experience. You you walked into a church where you did not feel welcomed. You walked into a church where you did not fit in. My son and I, when he was like eleven, we were at Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix, and if, when you walk in, big uh, big mural on the wall that says "World's Friendliest Airport." And my eleven-year-old son's brain just starts going. I see him look at it, and he looks back. He looks at me, and he goes, "Dad." You put that on your wall, you better deliver. (laughs) And I remember the rest of our time in that airport, Carson's looking around at everybody to see if they're the friendliest person he's ever met. And I go, I don't think TSA counts. (laughs) I don't think they're taking credit for that. But he would, he would, and something would happen in just our hour or hour and a half in this airport, and Carson would go, "Mm, not very friendly. And that's what some of you would just say was your bad church experience. You just went into a place that wasn't friendly. Others of you have stayed out of church because the most churched person in your family and at your family gatherings is the biggest jerk in your family. And I just, I I think all of us need to know this going into our next election. That there are people at your family gathering sitting there. They're not saying it out loud, but they're thinking, listen, if your church is full of people like you, I ain't ever going. If that's the attitude and the tone, 
If that's what Jesus is all about, you can keep it. People are having bad church experiences at the family dinner table. Move on to church hurt. Some of you watched your parents mistreated, your children mistreated. Some of you just had a leader that you trusted who poured into your life. They had an affair or they stole money. Maybe you were rejected or humiliated in the church. And this is true church hurt. Not all bad church experiences would qualify as church hurt. But some of you had a deep friendship and a relationship with someone in the church and it went bad. You left and just you're hurt and you're trying to process all of that. But some of you have, and we have to recognize this in church, we need to do more in this area. Some of you have been spiritually abused and you've had trauma because of the church. We have members of our church who were led to Christ and baptized by someone who sexually abused them. That's trauma. And I want you to know today, not all church hurt is trauma. We live in a culture today that moves pretty quick to use this word. But when we use it here, spiritual abuse and trauma, we're talking about the person who did nothing to bring it on. And they were abused. It can be a leader that was manipulating, maybe excessive criticism, control tactics. And, and, I, and I, just wanted, I just want to speak. This has been the hardest part. We have counseled with many people sexually abused by church leaders, ministry leaders in this church. And there are some people who would say this church has been silent. I promise you we have not been. We've not been. We, just because something isn't put online doesn't mean the church is being silent. And I also want to say something for every leader I know in this town. Ten years ago, I was not, I was not trauma-informed. I wouldn't even know what that term was, but because of my Christian counseling friends coming alongside me and helping me understand that, there were some changes we needed. We, didn't, we don't, we'll never want to be a church that re-traumatizes people in what we say or what we do. And those watching and those who misunderstand the heart of what I'm trying to share right now, I want to learn, I want to grow um, and learn how to help people better, knowing I'm not trained in this, so I don't do trauma counseling at this church. Is when I find out there's trauma in someone's life, we are quick to refer them on and pay for the counseling. Woodland Hills, that's some of what your generosity goes to. You know that. Your generosity goes to help people recover from spiritual abuse and trauma. But I got to tell you, I, I have a lot of leader friends in this town who are in the same boat I am. They weren't trauma-informed. But every leader of ministries and churches in this town that I know, hearts break for those with spiritual abuse and trauma, and there are going to be people that watch and go, you're full of crap, dead. I, I do. I, we care. We care for victims. We care for victims. And, and we want to help. And we always want this church to be a safe place for a victim to show up and find healing in Christ and a church family that will help them. And I know that is the heart of leaders all across this town. I talk to them. I, I, I know. I, I, some of you went to someone in the church for counseling, for an abusive marriage or an abusive relationship. 
and you were encouraged to stay in that abusive marriage or relationship. And that brought trauma on you. And now you're back in church trying to figure out what, what do we do next? Man. Not all strong leaders are toxic leaders. There are times accountability takes place in the church and and, and when you hold someone accountable to something, there are times they leave and they go somewhere else and when asked, why'd you leave Woodland Hills, you, they'll get an answer, well, we just didn't see eye to eye. And I mean, I've done it. We've confronted people in affairs and they leave and they go somewhere else. And what happened there at Woodland Hills? And well, we didn't see eye to eye. Well, it's not exactly what happened. I mean, it's part of church discipline and the church practices it and it rarely ever gets beyond the one-on-one that we're called to in Matthew 18. Not all church hurt is spiritual abuse and not all strong leaders are toxic leaders. But when I read Paul's words to the Colossians, this, this needs to be how we are described in this community and in this church from leaders all throughout the church, members all throughout the church, Lord, make this so. Colossians 3, 12 through 15, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if any one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. May that be said of us. May that be true of us. And as we jump into this, I just want to say a couple things. There are leaders in here right now coming from other churches. We have pastors in this church who are recovering from trauma and abuse inflicted on them by congregations in other parts of the country, and they show up, and they'll ask me, they go, can we just take a little bit of time? Don't make us jump in. We just want to sit. We just want to heal, and we say welcome, but we want you to heal. We want you to find that healing. Sometimes when we think about spiritual abuse, we just think leader to congregant, but I, I work with plenty of people where it's congregant to leader, Congregant to leader, and it, it happens. And I'm grateful for voices in my life. When I went through church hurt years ago, and I always wanted to do the blame game, and you know, I quote him all the time, but Gary Smalley came in, and as I was processing church hurt, you know what a big part of the equation was? Ted, let's take ownership of all the hurt you've caused. And I would, and man, it's not easy, and it's painful. And I know some of you, you've talked to people who've dealt with church hurt, and you get their side. You hear their side and you hear their pain. Be a healthy voice that helps them process that pain well. I'm grateful that Gary was an older man in my life who, who didn't tolerate the blame game. He said, we can talk about everything that happened to you, but I just want to talk about you and how you can fix you and how we can deal with you because wherever you go, there you are. And if we don't deal with you, you're going to show up in other places, and it's going to be a mess. And so what I share with you was given to me, and I'm grateful, and I hope it helps those. And by the way, some of this is going to help those who have experienced church hurt, but it's different for church trauma, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse. We want you to know as a church family we're committed to helping you heal, even when we're not helping you heal online. 
Number one, process your pain. Ryan Pinnell says it at Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Program, and I love what he says. Emotions are like our children. Listen to them, care for them. Just don't allow them to make major decisions for your family. We're not telling you to act, name what happened to you. Be very clear about the pain that it caused you. In Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, we read, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. Let's stop right there for just a second because some of you are surrounding yourself after a church hurt moment or a painful experience, even abuse and trauma. You're surrounding with people who feed the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, and the slander. Find those that will help you put it away. Put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Name what happened to you. Process the pain. Number two, heal from past hurt. Heal from past hurt. Romans 12, 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Evil was brought against you. Evil doesn't need to be passed on to others. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I put these next words in quotes because I, I really, I don't know who the original thought person was, but I don't know the quote, but I'm attributing them to someone else. But you've heard this expression. It's almost cliche in the church. Hurt people hurt people. If we don't work through the hurt, you're going to continue to go into other marriages or with your children, other workplaces, other churches, and you're going to hurt people. I, I saw a more modern one that hit me even more and it's simply this, if you never heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. We want healing for you in this church. Gary Smalley, now I'll give a tribute these two lines to him because this is what he shared with me. Unresolved anger is like drinking poison expecting the other person to get sick. And over 20 years ago, Gary came into my life when I was drinking this poison by the gallons. And some of you right now are drinking it by the gallons. And guess what? It's not making the people who hurt you sick. It's making you sick. They live states away. Or they're no longer even living. And you continue to drink the poison. Forgive as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. You never bury anger dead. You always bury it alive. When we started Will and Hills 20 years ago, Gary, on one of our guest cards, we used to have everybody fill out a guest card when our church was like four or 500 people. And uh, he wanted, you know, name, address, birth dates, children's names. And at the bottom, he wanted a checkbox that said, I have unresolved anger. I said, hey, Gary, I don't think we can ask first-time guests. It seems a little, like, a little too much information for uh, I'm visiting your church. But here was Gary's heart. Say, if you don't resolve your anger, you're coming from another church mad and angry and bitter at a pastor or a congregation, and you show up here, right, and you don't deal with it. You can bury it here for 6, 12, 24, 36 months, but eventually it will resurface. You'll probably end up hating us more. Resolve your anger. Number three, own your part. This is where I say is a big difference between church hurt and church trauma. If you were abused by a church or ministry leader, this, I'm not telling this to apply to you. You did nothing to bring that trauma on. We read in Romans Chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, you've been hurt. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Own your part. You brought something to the equation. Whether it's conflict, accountability that was brought, it happened 2,000 years ago and it's happened ever since. Own your part in it. Confess that. Go and try to make things right with the person 
that you're in conflict with. And here's the deal. If we never know about it, great. Great. You've gone to your brother, you've gone to your sister, and you have worked it out. And number four, I won't spend a lot of time here because this is actually launching our next series. Avoid toxic people. This is some of the, the strongest teaching in Scripture, but we read on avoiding toxic people. Paul talking to, to Timothy very clearly when he says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be, this is the opposite of the list we just read in Colossians, by the way. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and you can't get any clearer, have nothing to do with such people. And some of you are never going to heal from the church hurt in your life because you're hanging around the wrong people. You're listening to the wrong voices. Find a godly man or woman who's far from the situation who will speak truth into your life. And next week, we're actually going to start a series for three weeks called It's Not Me, It's You. And this is kind of the opposite. You're like, I think you're doing that backwards. No, it's very specific. Because if you've ever seen the bad breakup line, right? It's not, it's not you, it's me. Well, we're saying it's not me, it's you. As we talk about toxic relationships, uh, we're going to talk about the times that Jesus walked away from people or let people walk away from him. People who were just, just there to, to keep him from his mission. We did this in 2020. We had, in the middle of COVID, we had one message from Gary Thomas uh, on when to walk away, and then we filmed here afterwards uh, several sessions uh, on when to walk away, avoiding toxic relationships, and we filmed it with like 100 people in here, and then we sent it out for a small group, and so there, we know the majority of our church has not had an opportunity to hear a lot of that content, and I just want to share uh, not just Gary's content, but what we can do to make sure the toxic people in our lives don't make us toxic. And one of the best, we had a Q&A after Gary spoke, and a young man asked, after we learned about all the traits of a toxic person, he raised his hand, concerned that he may be a toxic person. And he goes, what, how do I figure out if I'm a toxic person? And then Al, is Al in the back there? Where's Al? You were greeted by him as you walked down this aisle. Al, who talks, Al doesn't just amen during a service over there. He actually gives me complete sentences on his thoughts uh, from the sermon while it's going on. When this guy asks, how can I tell whether or not I'm a toxic person, Al yelled over to this guy, ask your friends. <laughs> and I thought, that's what we're going to do <laughs> as we dive into the Word of God and we see how to deal with toxic people and toxic relationships. Would you pray with me? Father, for those hurt those abused, those dealing with trauma brought on by your people. Give us wisdom and, and give us knowledge on how to best walk through that. We never want to be a church that re-traumatizes people. Let this be a healing place. When hurt is brought against us, that we would not harbor the bitterness, the rage, the malice. When we inflict pain, or hurt others, that we would own our part and confess that freely to you seeking their forgiveness as well. For the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, they're just here today with the sniff test. Father, 
Let them see a community of believers who may not have it all figured out, but we know you do, and we lean on your word as our source of truth. Guide us well through these days, and we pray all of it in the authority of the name of Jesus, and everyone agreed and said, amen. amen. Love you all.